Welcome to Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now, with Positive Living, here's Patricia Raskin. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. I always say that it's an honor and pleasure to be with you each week on Voice America. Voice America believes that information is power, the Internet is the future, and the future is now, and so do I, and that's why I'm here. My program, Positive Living, brings you practical solutions and positive strategies to help you live the kind of life that you want. Today is certainly no exception. If you're listening today on Monday, October 1st, you can call us live at 866-472-5788. I just want to thank my sponsor, Jane Iredell Mineral Makeup, which is made from the Earth's minerals, which has no dyes or preservatives, and is a foundation concealer powder and sunscreen all in one. And I use it, and it's wonderful because it doesn't clog the pores at all. Recommended by physicians. And you can contact Michelle Fenske, M-F-E-N-S-K-E, at janeiredale.com, J-A-N-E-I-R-E-D-A-L-E.com, or contact me, Patricia, at raskinresources.com. I have a great guest for you today, and my guest is a very interesting man who's had a wonderful journey. His name is Swami Dindale Morgan, who is director and founder of the Pathfinder Institute, which is a school of yoga and the heart meditative movement. He's a certified Kriya yoga teacher as well as many, many other things. He's had over 40 years of teaching experience with adults and youth through agencies such as adult schools, recovery programs, and community programs. And he's talking about his new book, Lone Wolf in the Company of Fools and Mystics. Welcome, Dindayal. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. I want to read something here and have you comment on this. Yes. In the book, you write, This journey or this is the introduction, this journey being born in Chicago, Illinois, of African and Native American heritage, reveals one man's struggles and victories over racism, a dysfunctional family, sexuality, and relationships while learning from both fools and mystics. Uh. Now, here's, here's my question. Mm-hmm. You know, when I said this to you before, you know, having had that kind of background in an inner city with dysfunction, you could have gone another direction. You know, instead of being a swami into yoga and healing the world, you could have been a criminal in jail by now. That's true. So the question is, what was it? You know, that's that fine line where you can go on either side, and you went on the beautiful positive side. How did that happen? I really feel that has a lot to do with um, those people in your life that make a difference, and also something burning deep within I would say that in the early years of my life, I, I really had a problem with talking. I couldn't speak. I actually, I had a speech impediment, mm-hmm. and um, that really sort of drove me inwardly and, and caused me just to, to question things, and it just things didn't make sense, you know. And as I started to question things, I would verbally say things or attempt to say things, and I would actually just sort of like get smacked down to say, well, you don't question that, and, you know, you just do what, you, do what you're told and do what you're instructed. And I said, yep. okay, okay, you know. And so, I, I, so for that, by that happening, it caused me to be more introverted and actually be a lone wolf or be the loner and just really just question other aspects of it. And so it led me on the journey to myself 
But as I was traveling that journey, and my grandmother and grandfather, they were greatly inspired. I mean, they were greatly, my grandmother in particular, they, we used to call her Big Mama, she used to do so much uh, to want to do the best. Matter of fact, toward the latter part of her of, of her life, uh, she was really evolving in a way of really seeing things, you know, really from a clear point of view. Mm-hmm. And she greatly influenced and shared a lot. You know, my mom was there uh, in the best way she could because she had me when she, when, I, when I was sixteen, and my dad it was he wasn't there because he was just you know he was he was in a different different uh, mindset. But I mean, from those particular influences. Uh, it was just it, it ingrained something about wanting to know the truth about this mm. thing called divine, and so as it, as I was traveling through that, I was actually pulled by certain things in Chicago. I mean, there was a time, and I normally don't say this, but there was a time where actually I had I had an opportunity to join to join organized crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had it, and there was a guy. I'm not going to say the name. That was many years ago, but I chose not to do that. As a matter of fact, we became the best of friends, and we would talk about. Were you this. tempted, Dindial? Were you tempted because of the power? Oh yeah, the power, the money, uh, you know, all those things. But somehow, you know, because I had met my teacher back in 1971, spiritual teacher in the Temple of Kriya Yoga, and. You know that greatly influenced me. And prior to that, I had other other trainings by uh, what we call fools. You know, I mean, if we look at it very carefully and walking the path, uh, most of the stuff in the early years of our lives has usually gotten by fools. Mm-hmm. And then you know the, the mystics come along. But you learn from the fools. Either you learn from the fools and be the fool, or you learn to keep doing that over and over again, or you learn from them that particular mm-hmm. aspect of that person mm-hmm. or persons or situations, and then you start to grow from it. And what I did, I started to grow from it. I made my mistakes, and I did a tremendous amount of things where it caused me to really look at what what does I want, what do I want, and one of the what drew things, you into the world of yoga? Hmm? What drew you into the world of yoga? Well, uh, pain, pain, um, dysfunction, relationships. Uh, I mean, really uh, wanting to find an answer to this this madness. Uh, this mm-hmm. the the constant aspect of my mind, you know, going pull this way and pull that way, and and also my social structure and my society and how I'm taught to believe that happiness has a lot to do with what you have and not what yes. we call your level of consciousness, yes. you know, with the divine. So that led me into that point where I, I really wanted to get more an understanding of it. And at that time, you got to remember, at that time, nineteen, you know, nineteen seventy. 71 yoga at that point was people thought it was something to eat like yogurt yeah <laughs> and, and so it, it was you know, it wasn't big it wasn't as it popular is then that's for sure i know you know now it is a multi-million dollar industry it and is that, and that brings on all kind of other things that sometimes are not favorable but what i learned from that point was that the core aspect of how the principle of yoga was supposed to be taught you know the uh-huh. principle of the the yoke the art of union of heart mind breath and body you know, based upon the ancient traditions of the ancient uh, comedic, um historical aspects from Egypt all the way down to India and other parts of the of that of that particular time frame, mm-hmm. and how the practice of it itself puts you in tune with what we call the divine aspect of yourself, and looking at it from a different core point of view, the whole principles of it is understanding the eight stages of it. And so from that, you know, but I had a lot of flack when I started off in that because, 
it was, you know, and a lot of the flack was thrown from my relatives. Sure. And people other people. who didn't understand what you were doing. I know, because they said, boy, you know, you should be in church. What's the, what, what is wrong with you? Oh, mm-hmm. look at you. you. He's on a road to hell. Pray for this boy. You know, <laughs> so, you know, it's like, but there was a part of me inside my core of my being felt that this is something that really I felt a connection to. And and I, I, I kept pursuing it. And so I had to do it sort of like in a silent way, not so Open, you know, not so openly in their faces because it, at that time, you know, I was, wasn't totally on my own until I, until the age of eighteen when I got my own apartment and, and moved out and, and really established, you know, a life for myself. Mm-hmm. So, when you then, when did you decide to write your book? Was this later on? Well, the truth of the matter is, this book is about twenty years in the making. Mm-hmm. Um, I I didn't decide to write it until uh, roughly three years ago. And, you know, and and then, you know, the truth of the matter is also that I feel that, you know what, do I really have anything to say? And so I, I talked to a couple of my colleagues, and they said, you know, li- listen, Dendiel, they said, you know, um, I know what you've been through, and I really feel that what you have to say will help a lot of people, and it, it will also cause a lot of men to confront the issues that they're, within, they're dealing with in their lives, yeah. in their relationships. And I said, really, are you really? And so as I started to, to to work on this, and it took me about a year to really just get this down and have some uh, co-authors and, excuse me, co-editors to help me put this together. But what I started to realize is that this became therapeutic for me. It, it, it you know, and, and through the writing, I, you know, the many tears that I shed, and it's like, my gosh, you know, going over this, re- rehashing these aspects of my life, it, it, it's it just touched me in such a way, and it was very therapeutic in many ways of healing a lot of my past pain. And yeah. as I brought it forward, I was like, wow. And then I looked at it, it's like, did I do this? <laughs> you know, it's like, and then what I revealed in it, I said, uh, you know, 20 years ago, I would never reveal things about myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was so, I mean, some of the people have read this and said, you know, gosh, you know, I wouldn't have said that. Man, I kind of feel embarrassed for you. <laughs> All right. Before we go to break, let's yeah. get a little bit of inspiration of what did all of that give you to really get you to the path you are on now, which is what we're going to talk about after the break, your book. Okay. Sounds good. No, this, what, what I was saying is just give us a, a little synopsis oh. of kind of, you know, where, what all of that hardship, in a sense, and soul-searching brought to you that led you to the book. What did it? What what brought? I think. What is it? What did it bring you that that you're now able to give to other people? Oh, oh, the key fact, the one thing, I it brought me, and it also enhanced the ability for me to help people open up their hearts. Mm-hmm. I help people by way of revealing to themselves the nature of the true nature of their heart. Mm-hmm. And so when it when it moved me toward that place, I started to really realize that. Most people are really in pain from past abuse, past life situations, and their hearts are shut down. And so it's like they don't want to feel anything. So either they become workaholics or they become so engrossed into what we call um, the materiality of things so they can forget. Like one young man I asked him a long time ago, I said, why do you keep playing the music aloud? I mean, you play it 24-7. I, I, I don't understand, man. Why do you keep doing it that way? 
He said, man, when I'm in the music, man, I can really just sort of get lost in it. Mm-hmm. The minute I turn it off, man, I start thinking about things that happen and stuff like that. And then it's like, oh, man, I feel so depressed. So I just turn it and I just blast up the music, man. I keep blasting it. And I keep keep it going because so, it keeps me it keeps me in my mind going, you know. But I said, don't you realize that sometimes that's an overstimulant? He said, well, yeah. I know, man, but, you know, this, 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 is how me help. this is how it helps me. And so, you know, this is the kind of thing that most people do to run away from themselves. Mm-hmm. But you can only do that for so long until eventually you come back to yourself. So it's right. about opening up the heart. And this is why my yoga is called Yoga Heart Meditation. All right. Yoga. And we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Swami Dindale Morgan more about he's the director and founder of Pathfinder Institute, School of Yoga, Heart Meditative Movement. And we're going to talk more about his new book, which is called Lone Wolf and the Company of Fools and Mystics, and how we can make how we can turn our lives around, which is what he did. You're listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer, and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy to understand tools and tips. With his weekly guests, Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school, and youth teams, coaches, and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. Hey, Dad. What? I can't get the ketchup bottle open. Here, let me try. Here you go. Thanks. You don't have to be a hero to be a hero. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt U.S. Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Had an accident? The people you may encounter may be attorneys, doctors, and insurance agents. How do you protect yourself and your family? Tune into Meeting by Accident with attorney Tom Woodruff, an experienced trial attorney and former legislator. Attorney Woodruff and his expert guests assist and inform on what to do in a crisis, what steps to take, what to avoid, and most important, what you need to know to get through the process. Meeting by Accident broadcasts every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America channel. Because being informed makes all the difference. Tune into Meeting by Accident with attorney Tom Woodruff. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com everyone, we are back. You are listening to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin. I have a great guest on for you today. His name is Swami Dindale Morgan. He's the director and founder of the Pathfinder Institute, School of Yoga, Heart Meditative Movement, and is a certified Kriya Yoga teacher. 
and he has over 40 years of teaching experience with adults and youth. And his new book is Lone Wolf in the Company of Fools and Mystics. Welcome back, Dindayo. Thank you very much. Tell us um, a little bit more about your book and the title of it, Lone Fool in the Company of Fools and Mystics. Lone Wolf <laughs> yes. in the Company of Fools and Mystics. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that, uh, the Lone, Fool, Lone Wolf in the Company of Fools and Mystics is, um, the term Lone Wolf is actually derived from my African-American, uh, more than Native American heritage. And that's also the road in which I've traveled for, actually, my life. You know, and just that whole aspect of really learning how to become my best friend. Long Wolf, not so much as being isolated from society in a way of uh, antisociable, but rather learning how to be with oneself first before you can be into a relationship. Um, the in the company, in the company is where I started. Everything everything happened that way. I was in the company of fools, and I was fool, and. You know, became the mystic, and so it, it was one of those things where it sort of made me what I was, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I learned a lot from people that were close to me and direct to me, you know, such as my parents, and you know, and, and also what not to be, and, and how it looks in what we call physical form, and mm-hmm. and how people respond to that. And it's like, do you really want to live that kind of life? Yeah. So a lot of things that were occurred and happened it was really based upon examples. That others sort of sort of displayed to me, and I saw I saw it in the raw. And um, what is it you want your readers to gain from your book? Well, I, I want them to really this book. This book is it was a it's a motivational, inspirational book that has methods and techniques of overcoming unbelievable obstacles that we all go through as human beings. And those obstacles obstacles can range from basically from you know past um, struggles that one have went through and trying to overcome um, pain, uh, past abuse, um, the whole concept of, uh, of of what we call lack, of, you know, being considered that, you know, you, you can never be any better than you are because people tell you that and you've started to believe that. And, you know, and also the, the strong influence that a child, what happens as a child starts to grow up, he or she is influenced greatly by their environment and by their parents. And so they take on this thing not knowing. A lot of times if you come up in what we call a very negative child, you know, a negative family environment, you're constantly bombarded with certain types of things and you grow up with this attitude thinking in this way until you step out into the world and you find out the world is not the way that your parents have told you. Mm-hmm. Or even the whole thing behind society. In our culture, we are taught what happiness is supposed to be like and this is what it looks like and this is the color it looks like and this is the object it looks like this is what happiness is mm-hmm. but if you go to any third world country or even in the ghetto you see children playing with broken bottles and glasses and throwing things and running after each other and, and just laughing and having a great time yes I've seen that in third world countries and I've often said boy they're re- really lucky they don't have to worry about much right And but as they get older they're taught what happiness is supposed to be when they already had that. And that's what the whole concept of happiness really being happy. And that's one of the things that one of the old guys came back to around in the early 1900s. I think his name was um, Mia Baba. And he talked about uh, be, don't worry, be happy. And then, um, what's his name, came alone and brought a song about that. Don't worry, be happy. And people said, what do you mean don't worry, man? I got 
tons of bills and tons of mortgages, mm-hmm. mortgages and houses and things I have to pay for. I mean, don't worry. That, that's crazy. But that what he was saying was that basically there's a happiness that we already have within us that we have forgotten. Yeah. It's that inner child that knows the, the true happiness, the divine connection that we have with the divine. And so that's the thing that a lot of the mystics have been said for centuries, come back to that place, tap into that place. There you'll find the happiness, and everything else will fall into place the mm-hmm. way it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. All right, let's from that part. Let's talk about what you do with your yoga teaching, because your yoga is a little bit different from traditional yoga. Talk yeah. about that and how that helps to bring that kind of enlightenment to folks. Well, most people who's listening, who, who are listening to me now, those are, those of you that have uh, are practicing or teachers of yoga know that there are basically eight stages of yoga. And one of the key principles behind the practice of the first two is yamas, niyamas, abstaining, observing that which is sacred. And one of the things that most people who are practicing yoga uh, in what we call the American tradition sometimes leaves out is the principles of really discipline of yourself and understanding the nature of yourself in, in yoga, heart, meditative movement, what we do, we deal with the principle of tuning into the nature of the heart, going into the posture. But as you go into the posture, what happens is you let yourself become aware of the moment. Now, in some schools of yoga, they say, well, focus on lining the line, line your hip and lining your back with this. Line up your hip, do this together, do that. Mm-hmm. You know, and those are very good. You know, the mechanics of it is, is essential. That's good also. But as human beings, we have to first grasp the feeling of what it feels like to us, and then we start to critique it. That's how we are designed. We are creatures of feeling. If I don't feel it, I, I can't really grasp it. But if I can just be with the movement for a while, just let me just sort of be with it and let me see it unfold to me. It's like, ah, okay, I see, I see. Now I can critique it now. I can, I can formulate it in this way and line it up that way. And that's the whole purpose of really what we call meditative movement because I'm in the moment. I'm not rushing through a whole series of movements, you know, because there's no way in the world that anyone can rush through a whole series of movements, 50 or 25 movements all at once, you have to first be with the movement in order to grasp it and then get the feel of it. And then you can sort of incorporate different series of movements together because you're very there. In the practice of yoga, the way, it's, the way it was done early on was basically that you would hold the posture. You hold it for as long as you could. Mm-hmm. And just be in the moment. And the teacher, he or she, would come by and they would say, okay, just move it, move it to a little this way. Now, you can be in a posture about three, roughly about three to four minutes. Mm-hmm. And some have done it longer than that. And you, as you do, you make the adjustment like, okay, now shift it over to this side. Now, notice what you're feeling. Notice your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Is your thoughts reflective of how you're breathing? How you're breathing is a reflective of how you're feeling in this moment. And that's the practice of what we call the whole aspect of yoga, unifying the whole aspect of yourself. Not just a so series you, of So you're you're more into helping people really see where they are at the moment than holding the poses? Yes, it's it's more it's it's more from a therapeutic point of view. Mm-hmm. Because we have to get to the core of us. I mean healthy wise, you know, we feel healthy, that's good, but you you really want to be able to leave and learn something that you can incorporate in your daily life. That's practicing the true principle of yoga. Yeah. And the practice of Kriya Yoga, the law of creative action, has to do with just being there, 
you know, your earth life is your spiritual life. Your spiritual life is your earth life. And it works in, together. It's like the yin-yang concept. You know, you have a body. So, you know, the object is not to get away from the body, but to learn to master this physical form. Understand the nature of the cellular memory of it. What it really is. What do you are by nature? If we talk about Ayurvedic, we talk about Vita, Pitta, and Kappa. If we talk about it from the shaman point of view, or the, you know, the Native American, which is from my point of view, is it has to do with the wind, water, ground, fire, and space. But they're all the same thing. They're just different systems. They all talk about the elements. What element are you? When people come to your workshops, do they come from everywhere? Do they come from all over? And are your workshops like one-day retreats, one-day workshops, week-long retreats? How does that work? Well, it, what I'm doing now, I'm setting, I have uh, weekend retreats also. And uh, those are, have been most helpful for most people because through the week, weekend retreat, they get a chance to go over some major, some major concepts. You know, they can next day and they can review it and then they can come back with other things. And then we have what we call uh, an all-day power retreat, one-day retreat where you deal with the whole concept from sun up to sun to, to sundown. And we deal with major issues around certain projects and certain things. That it's called the um, the creative movement, uh, the creative aspect of career and movement. A lot of people are going through changes in their life, and they don't know where they should be, or what type of career they should be in, or even what kind of relationship they should be in. And so, what we do, we help them through the element aspect of five rings element movement psychology, which is based upon principles of Maya Moto Masashi's work which is based upon the five rings, wind, water, ground, fire, and space. And it deals with the principles of understanding the nature of the body because 75 to 80% of all communication is based upon body language and cellular memory. And the rest is based upon tonization and how people use words. And so, so when you're on the phone with somebody, can you, and a lot of healers work with people by phone when they can't see them, are they picking up their energy then? Yes, they're picking up because there's a way, there's a rhythmic pattern in how people talk that gives an indication. Sometimes when they're frustrated with you, they're they're very short, or they're very. There's a way in which their tone of their voice mm-hmm. changes and, and and goes into a certain type of ebb. And then there's a way in which people are sometimes trying to fake it, and you can read into the sound of their voices how they how they're talking. And there's a drop in a certain type of tone of their voice because they're trying to hold it for so long, long time. They can only hold it because it's not real, and it, and it drops. And when it drops, sometimes people don't they don't pick up on it. They don't get it. But there's a way in which you can actually feel it from, the, from that point of view. And then there's an image in how people carry themselves and how they talk. I mean, politicians, if you really know the nature of their body language, you can read right into what they're, where they're really at and not what they're saying. It's the same thing with any, anything. If you really can t- understand the nature of the elements, because most people have not been aware of how they can hire themselves, even actors, even the most proficient actors. If you see an actor, give you an example of Denzel Washington acting. Okay, and whatever character he portrays, he still has his body language, which is Denzel. Yes. I don't care what it is, but there's yes. a way in which he carries himself, which is more of a Capricornian type of nature, yes. very ground and very yes. profound. And he takes that whatever character he portrays, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's an element of nature that he has that is more of a grounding aspect to him. And so, you know, it's there, and you know, you can't hide it. Even the most proficient person of trying, trying to hide how they are, you can see through it. You can get it in the energy. All right, we're going to take a break. My guest is Swami Dindale Morgan, director and founder of Pathfinder Institute. 
School of Yoga, Heart Meditative Movement. He's a certified Korea yoga teacher, five rings movement psychology specialist, and professor of, ma- of martial science, the seventh degree black belt in Chinese Kempo, and the list goes on. He's been doing this work for over 40 years. You can give us a call if you're listening on October 1st at 866-472-5788. You're listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Wine and Women is not your boring wine geek show. It is rather a fresh, fast-paced approach featuring interesting stories and entertaining segments about wine and wine-related topics through a warm and chatty format that will appeal especially to women, men optional. Hosted by wine connoisseurs and luxury lifestyle experts, Julie Brosterman, Lisa Kring, Sharon Borston, and Jeanette Oku, Wine and Women takes listeners to Napa, Sonoma, and other wine regions worldwide to meet the best as well as the newest winemakers, to restaurants to meet top chefs and sommeliers, to wine-themed spas, wine country getaways, even into supermarket wine aisles where Women and Wine Angels swoops down and helps shoppers to get their wine picks and more. Women in Wine broadcasts each Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Women in Wine, enjoying life one sip at a time. Ever wonder what are the favorite travel destinations of the Hollywood jet set? Where do celebrities like to go when they aren't walking the red carpet? Tune in to Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with President of Traveris, David Manning, and Lisa O'Hurley, golf aficionado and wife of actor John O'Hurley. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa talk with well-known actors, sports celebrities, and entertainment insiders to find out about their favorite travel destinations and what they recommend. On Travera Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa also offer up feature vacations each week and last-minute deals for your next getaway. Find out what's new and exciting in the travel industry, as well as how to raise money for your nonprofit organizations while enjoying a wonderful vacation. Travera Celebrity Travel Talk with David Manning and Lisa O'Hurley broadcasts each Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Travera Celebrity Travel Talk, your inside look into celebrities and travel. VoiceAmerica.com Hi everyone, we are back. You are listening to Positive Living and I'm Patricia Raskin. I want to thank my sponsor, Jane Iredell's Mineral Makeup, which is made from the Earth's Minerals. This amazing makeup feels weightless and gives unsurpassed coverage to achieve a skin that looks healthy and youthful. It's not an ordinary makeup. It has no fillers or talc or skin sensitizers like fragrance dyes or preservatives. It's a foundation, concealer, powder, and sunscreen all in one and can be worn by those with the most sensitive skins and is recommended by dermatologists and plastic surgeons. To hear more about this revolutionary new makeup, you can contact Michelle Fenske, M-F-E-N-S-K-E, at janeiredell.com, J-A-N-E-I-R-E-D-A-L-E.com, or call 678-472-3866, or email me, patricia at raskinresources.com. The great guest for you today... My guest is Dindale Morgan, who is the founder and director of Pathfinder Institute, School of Yoga, Heart Meditative Movement, 
and he's a yoga teacher. He's a martial arts professional. He's been has a seventh degree black belt. He's been teaching for forty years. Welcome back, Dindayal. Thank you. And he's also the author of the book that we're talking about, Lone Wolf in the Company of Fools and Mystics. Question for you about martial arts and yoga. And before we do that, let's tell people more about the Pathfinder Institute and where they can find out about it. Well, you can find out about it by going to my website, pathfinderinstitute.com. That's pathfinderinstitute.com. Or you can call me, 925-695-3121. That's 925-695-3121. Okay. All right. Now, at the Pathfinder Institute, you teach yoga, and you also are involved with martial arts as well. And movement psychology. They seem very different, yoga seeming more meditative and peaceful, mm-hmm. and the martial arts has been used in times of war. How do you uh, combine those? How are they similar? Well, uh, well, you know, if we look at the history now, some people may be listening to me that really know the history behind this martial arts and the yoga thing. And uh, there was um, a guy by the name of Dao Mo from the Chinese tradition. Uh, that, that, that was the Chinese name for it. And uh, from the Japanese, they call it uh, Bodhidharma. And he had traveled through uh, parts of Africa, through India, and then settled in what we call the Shaolin, Shaolin Temple, which is uh, roughly about 5,000 years ago, according to history. And he taught them certain types of movements that people today say that it looks more like yoga that was taught. And he didn't look like them, you know, dark-skinned type of person. And they developed a system. And then from that um, came a system out of the early, uh, I, I believe it was called um, uh, Lohan system. Um, I could be correct there, I'm not sure. But what happened is developed a system of, of practice that became very pronounced in the way of stretching and flexibility. And then the five families in the Shaolin Temple were known, actually, for the earliest stages of the different styles of martial arts, such as Yin style, uh, Wu style, Yang style types of uh, forms in the early years. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that is very interesting that I learned in the early years that when I got involved with yoga, people would often say, why are you doing, isn't this in contradiction? Um, yes, and, which is what I asked. And they would say... What happened to ahimsa? Ahimsa is nonviolence. nonviolence. And I said, yes, that's true. But if you look at the concept of the Bhagavad Gita and the battle, you know, and the whole thing behind Krishna and Arjuna in the battle. Now, some people say, well, that battle wasn't real. That was a different That was the battle of the mind. No, but no, there was a battle. It was a battle. It was, it was, it was fighting against what we call the negativity of existence and bringing a balance to it. You know, but in the book it talks about the whole concept of the physical aspect and the emotional and the spiritual aspect that sometimes has to be done. One of the key things that most people forget in doing any kind of physical confrontation or battle is your intention behind what you do. Is what you're doing, you're going out to hurt people intentionally because you love to see people in pain and hurt, or you're doing this because it's necessary to defend your life, it's necessary to defend your loved ones. And it's about your intention. If we look very carefully on a microscopic level, the body itself is going through cells of being uh, dying now and replenishing. There is, thing, uh, there is a thing in our body that's called the immune system. The thymus gland plays a major role in that part. 
And so what happens, whatever bacteria and other foreign objects that come into the body by way of the pores and eyes and nose and mouth, is constantly being put in check. It's a battle going within. So the question is, what makes us think that we have this internal battle going in, that we're not going to have an external battle going in, dealing with other things that are subliminally programmed to us, or people trying to dominate, dominate over us. So we're already in a battle. But, the, but what the old ones have said for centuries is that it is your intention, it is your attitude toward what you do that makes a difference in your actions. That's the most important part. Now, you, in your books, you talk about, or actually you talk about it in your work, too, the four key principles of real happiness. Yes. I have a CD that come out also that explains it also in more detail, too. That's on the website, then they can check also. But one of the key things um, about the four key principles that I, this was, uh, when, I div- when I worked this out, uh, and develop this, this was something that I, I sort of observed from just naturally my students, naturally in my own personal life, and it was actually formulated from that, from that substance, and I just put it down on paper in order to have something where I can just pass it out and give it and share it with those who desperately uh, need this thing. And one of the, uh, the four key principles was very interesting, and it started off with the first key, and the first key was being true to yourself. Don't deny what you fear or feel. Be open to yourself. You know, people have said sometimes, they say, well, you know, um, if I lie to others, that's cool, that's nice. And if I lie to myself, that's fine too. But the object is the first stage is never lie to yourself. Be true to where you're really at. Not all the time that we can say to people, what needs to be said sometimes. Sometimes it has to be timing of it and saying it in a way where people can hear you. Sometimes they cannot hear you. So for you to say it and speak your truth, um, it'll fall on deaf ears. So it's always due with timing, but the first thing that the old ones have said for centuries is that learn to be true to who you are. Confront the fears that you, that you feel. And look at the shortcomings. Look at your, your points of weaknesses and your strength. But then you have to do something with that. You can't just sit with that because otherwise you'll get paralyzed. Definitely. And one of the ways of doing that, one of the physical practices, now, you know, we heard so many people talk about this and we read this in books and stuff. It's like, oh, that sounds good. Oh, that's nice. Okay, tell me, how do you actually physically move past this emotional, mental block? One of the ways of first of being true to yourself is doing a physical movement. And this can be done, I mean, listeners, if they're hearing me now, what you can do, and I'll show you how movement is, is very important. Place both hands over your heart, you know, the biological pumping heart, the blood, and just place your hand over there. Now, I want as you place your hands there, take about three deep breaths. And when you breathe, breathe from the diaphragm, the lower part of the diaphragm. So your chest follows your abdomen. And actually, that's the way you're supposed to breathe. If you ever notice a child or an animal, when they breathe, they breathe from that point. What happened to us as adults, we breathe backwards because we're constantly under stress. We're constantly traumatizing. That's that panic breath. Mm-hmm. It's up in the chest. And so breathe from that point. And just do three times, three breaths, just very deeply. And be conscious of how many seconds it takes you to inhale and how many seconds it takes you to exhale. And just sort of notice what you're feeling as you're going through those particular points of references. 
Uh. Now, from this point, say to yourself, I love you, I respect you, I love you, I respect you. And as you say that, notice the vibration that goes into the hands by way of your heart. Your hands are connected to your heart. Your heart is connected to the hands and the arms. And as you say that, when you first say that, the mind will say, no, we're not. You remember what we did? We pushed we pushed this person down the stairs and, oh, how terrible. Remember those things we did? Ah, uh, you know, how can I, I you know. Because one of the things that I've also learned that most people really have self-hatred about themselves. Everybody wants to be someone else. Everyone wants to look like someone else in our culture. And so there's a self-hatred that is subconsciously there that has to come to the surface and deal with it. In order to be truthful, true with yourself, you first must learn that, you know what, I have a problem. But if you feel that you don't have a problem, you're never going to get to the point until things in life comes in and cause you to just, you know, explode. One of the key things that I've learned also, people who are in what we call the so-called new age, one of the things I often notice about them, and they often talk about love and compassion, love everyone, love thy neighbor and everything, and the minute you do something or say something that's contrary to what they believe in, they're all over you. And mm -hmm. with, with such hatred and, and rage, it's like, what happened to so the you're people? you're saying you need to walk your talk, and by doing that exercise... You bring love to yourself exactly. in a way that you feel it. Exactly. Now, if you really want to take it to another level, which is, and I've had more, a lot of people that I've taught, from doctors to lawyers to, to people that are, you know, it's like, wow, you think that they would do this, is do it for what we call the mirror technique, where you look into the mirror, and as you look into the mirror and say this, you say that into the mirror, I love you, I respect you, and you say your full name. Mm -hmm. And you keep saying it in the mirror. Matter of fact, people use that a lot it's called uh, what we call self-realization or self-exposure. Most people are terrified to be by themselves. Most people have a problem looking at themselves in the mirror, you know. And if there's a way, it's like, wow, I, yeah. I'm a little, I got too much fat here and I got this here. Oh, my God, I wish I would look 20 years ago. Oh, my goodness. And then they go through all these changes. But what happens is you look into the eyes. The eyes are truly the windows to your soul. You start to see this. Now, you, as you verbally say these words, your subconscious mind hears this, and it will fight you in the, in the beginning. It will say, no, you don't. No, no, no. This, and you start laughing. This is stupid. This is silly. Looking at myself in the mirror and saying to this as a hole in my heart, oh, this is so crazy. But you go, you go beyond that point. You keep saying it. And what happens, you start to become it. And once you become it, you start to actually behave it. And once you behave it, it is your world. All right, on that note, we're going to take a break. My guest is Swami Dindale Morgan, founder and director of Pathfinder Institute, School of Yoga, Heart Meditative Movement. He's a yoga teacher, martial arts teacher, has a black belt in Chinese Kempo, and has 40 years of teaching with adults and children. He's also the author of the book, Lone Wolf, in the Company of Fools and Mystics. And you can contact him at pathfinderinstitute.com. PathfinderInstitute.com. You're listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! 
If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Albert Einstein once said, nothing happens until something moves. Will your movement towards realizing a dream, making a long-lasting change to your life, or simply putting a daily smile on your face is just a click away. Tune into Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney and free your mind, open your heart, and ignite action in your life. Host and commander in change, empowerment coach, and international speaker, Scott Chesney shares his insights to making the most out of your daily lives. Scott interviews people who are maximizing their lives, the most recognizable transformationalists and leaders around the world, as well as those hometown heroes that move, touch, and inspire the best in all of us. Stay tuned into Maximizing Life for Scott's one-on-one coaching with callers. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney broadcasts each Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney, inspiring you to live life with passion, purpose, and limitless potential. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Hi, everyone. We are back. You are listening to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin. And it's just an honor and pleasure to be with you each week to bring you such amazing guests that help you live the kind of life that you want to live. And today certainly is no exception. My guest is Swami Dindale Morgan, director and founder of the Pathfinder Institute, School of Yoga, Heart Meditative Movement. He's a certified career yoga teacher, five rings movement psychology specialist, a professor of martial science, a seventh degree black belt in Chinese Kempo, and he's over 40 years of teaching. His book is Lone Wolf in the Company of Fools and Mystics, and his website is pathfinderinstitute.com. Welcome back, Dindayal. Thank you. Thank um, you. Tell us, you had four keys to happiness, and we went over one of them. Let's talk about the other three. The, the, yes. The, the uh, second key is has to do with establish life's purpose and direction. Um, there has to be a point in time where you really look at, what is my life purpose? Um, what is my direction in which I need to go now this is easier said than done we can speak this in words but one of the ways of doing that is that you start changing aspects of your lifestyle the people that you surround yourself with mm-hmm. and you surround yourself around things that are people that are more pro- pro- I say proactive in a way of uh, more in the world but at the same time more doing the things that are help raising the consciousness of all people and all beings and one of the things is usually uh, going to special groups that are really working in formless meditation, um, get, learning from a, a certified or, or a, um, a real teacher, you know, that you, you learn these different skills about establishing life purpose. Another thing that you can look at also, if you wish, those of uh, listening, is write down what is it that you really want to do. And as you do that, you can do one of the heart techniques where you place your hand over your heart again and ask yourself a question, do I really want to do this? And notice your reaction in your body. You see, we already know what's true for us. It's in, us, it's in the cellular memory of our body, but most of us don't listen to it because we listen to what we call the duality of the mind, and we forget, and therefore, you know, we get lost. And so if, we, if you know, 
if we can bring it to the center and bring it to the balance point, then this we call self-examination. Then you begin to find the life purpose. And then you start to realize the direction and where you should be moving. And usually when you start looking at the element aspect of yourself, you start seeing those as a key point of where you're at. Element, what I mean by element, is wind, water, fire, and ground. What is the nature of that? What is the nature of your body? And why, what is it that you feel more gravitated to? Now, if I move over to the third key, the third key has to do with positive affirmations. Uh, a lot of people have problems with that because, uh, okay, I say that I, I said it, I said it ten or fifteen times. Now it should work. And positive affirmations is when you embody a statement that you keep saying to yourself, like a, it's a de, it's a declaration of this is what I am, this is who I am, even though you may not believe it on the conscious level. You got to go deep into the subconscious as you keep saying something constantly. It's like uh, using a, a rhyme and rhythm. Every day and every way, I'm becoming better and better, happier and happier, yappier, yappier, yeah, 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 yeah. Something of that nature, but something that is kind of comic in a way, but something that sort of like keeps feeding you. You keep repetitively, repetitively saying it over and over again, and as you keep doing that long enough, what happens is it starts to seek into the subconscious mind. And things start to start to really happen for you. Now, if we look and we move to the fourth key, the fourth key has to do with life owns everything. Now, some people would say, well, shouldn't this be the first key? It's called the spiritual approach. Yeah, could be that. And it has to do with the truth of the matter that we came into this world as stewards, servants, and that basically what we have forgotten is that... There are three truths in the world. Your truth, which works for you based upon your karma and your temperament. My truth, which works for me, my temperament, my karma. And the third truth is the truth that governs all of us. Mm-hmm. And one of the truths that governs all of us is that eventually we're going to die. You know, that, that's, that's a given fact. How you go, there's things, ways that you can know. And then there's another truth is that no matter what you do in life, there will always be change. You cannot hold and keep things in a, in a certain place in life because they're constantly evolving. They're constantly changing and deteriorating with time and space. That is a truth. And one of the major truths is that in this world, we're going to have to let go of certain things. The, the people and things that we love are one day will leave us. And that's by way of death or if that's by way of we outgrow each other. But that's a truth. That's a given fact. And so though, once you understand that life owns everything and we are servants and we are helping raise the consciousness, it's a whole different attitude that takes place. It's almost like saying, uh, I think that the cowboy song came out, live life like you're dying. Mm-hmm. If you live life like you're dying, every day is, is, a, is an adventure. Yes. And you see it as if for what it is. And so by that factor, we have the three factors, being truthful to yourself, establish life's purpose and direction, positive affirmation, and life owns everything, the spiritual approach. Okay. And the last one. That is. All right. The key is life owns everything, the spiritual approach. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's, but don't you think these are lifelong principles we have to keep working at all the time? I mean, this doesn't always come easy. And when you first start off in, in really appearing to these principles, what happens is that because of the past program that we've been programmed, most of us have been programmed to um, not to really feel and believe in ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so for some of us, there's certain ones will be more harder than others. 
but as you keep persevering and you surround yourself with people that support you, it's called the five senses. If you tune into the five senses and you feed the five senses in a positive way and surround yourself with five senses, in other words, what you're looking around in the room, what your house should reflect is your state of what we call your deep consciousness, your deep connection. With the smell in the house or the smell in your environment, in your house, should smell in a way that feeds the nature and is very satisfying. Your touch, you should be able to touch certain things that bring you back to that place of divinity. Yes. Taste, there should be a taste in a way which you taste things that it brings you to that source. And so all your senses are being activated in order to support that divine connection. And then sometimes we forget that, and so what happens is we talk one thing and we engage physically in another thing that is contrary to what we really need to be doing. All right, so closing thoughts to Niles. People get one thing out of this interview on your work and on Lone Wolf and the Company of Fools and Mystics, and people can log on to pathfinderinstitute.com. What are your closing thoughts in a minute or less? You can only turn left so long until you start turning right. Hmm. You can only turn left so long. You can only continue in your, on what you're doing until pretty soon you wind up meeting yourself again. Simple as that. Thank you so much for being on the program. You're welcome. Thank you. Stay on the line. My guest has been Dendale Morgan, and his website is pathfinderinstitute.com. We've been talking about his book, Lone Wolf and the Company of Fools and Mystics. He's the director of the Pathfinder Institute School of Yoga. So, folks, again, uh, pathfinderinstitute.com. Next week, my guest is Dale Goldstein, who's a psychotherapist, workshop leader, and director of the Heartwork Institute. He is the author of Heartwork, How to Get What You Really, Really Want. He will discuss how to find fundamental solutions, transforming problems into doorways to compassion, insight, and joy. Folks, until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin for Positive Living. Remember that Positive Living is on Voice America, and it's on Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. And all my programs are archived on voiceamerica.com and on raskinresources.com. And you can write to me at patricia at raskinresources.com. I would love to hear from you. Again, until next time, I wish you love and light and joy. Stay happy, stay healthy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next week, I'm Patricia Raskin for Positive Living. Have a great Monday and a great week. been listening to Positive Living with Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. For an autographed copy of Patricia's new book, Pathfinding, Seven Principles for Positive Living, log on to raskinresources.com and tune in next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, right here on voiceamerica.com.